0: And we're going to find out what Moab means a little bit later tonight. Doesn't mean a good thing. Uh, but the miracle of the Book of Ruth is Ruth experienced the redemption of God, and she literally became David. I'm talking about King David's great-grandmother. great grandmother, great granny, a girl from Moab with a Gentile background. And then also she was in the genealogy of the king of kings himself. And so there's a, there's a message in here for all of us. Uh, it speaks to us of God's ways for all people. We look at a woman and the life of a woman that came. And I like how Jack Hayford puts it. She came to a new time and a new place. And there's a message for you And me, Because I believe that in God, if we're moving with him, he wants to take us from one degree of glory to the next. He wants us to move on, if you will, into a new time and to a new place. You know, in Isaiah 43 and 18 and 19, you don't need to turn there. But it says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. He says, it springs up now. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. How many of you are prepared for the Spirit of God to change your status quo? Are you ready for Him to do something good in your life? How about something out of the ordinary? Like supernatural. One preacher is declaring that the year 2011 is the year... Of the supernatural. I believe that. Let's look it over to Ephesians 3.20 in the message. You don't need to turn there, Stan Ruth, because we'll be all night trying to find it again. But if you could uh, pull up Ephesians 3.20 in the message version. Uh, King James says, now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that's working in us. Amen. Now the message translation says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. That is a good word. I'm ready for the supernatural. In order to experience, if you will, a new time and a new place, we are going to need the supernatural power of God. And in order to tap into the supernatural, we must become supernatural-minded. And one of the ways that we become supernatural-minded is we begin to call the things that be not as though they were. Sunday morning, don't miss it. We're going to talk about alignment and then dash speaking. I've been waiting to get this for the last few Sundays. We're going to get into the power of faith-filled words and the power of the tongue. But you've got to declare glory to God. God's taken me on from glory to glory. This will not be any ordinary year for me. This is the year of the supernatural power of God. Amen. Amen. Now, and I know we're in Ruth, but I'm just going to make a few more comments about supernatural. Is that okay? Supernatural, according to Webster, means a departure from what is the usual or the norm. Glory to God. A departure from what is the normal. It also means to transcend, to supersede the laws of the natural. When a jet takes off tonight from SFO, gravity would like to keep it down. But there are other laws that will lift that 747 and send it on its way to London, England. One is the law of lift. And the law of lift always supersedes the law of gravity. You and I, in Christ Jesus, have been lifted up and made to sit together with Him in heavenly places. We serve a supernatural God who will do supernatural things for us. Here's a definition of supernatural that isn't in Webster's, but it's a good one. And that is this. The supernatural happens in my life and in your life. When we've done all we can do in the natural. And then we trust God to add His super to it. And when He adds His super to what we've done in the natural, we will experience the supernatural. Glory to God. It's kind of like this. Having done all to stand. 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 And God will see you through. So this is a supernatural book we're reading tonight. Something just out of the ordinary happened in Ruth's life. And I want to I set the backdrop. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1. And let's look at verse 1. And it says, It came to pass in the days when judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. I want you to notice now, this is in the time when the judges ruled. And judges ruled, and this was kind of in the closing days, of that 400 year period of time where judges ruled. In other words, Israel at that time was not ruled by kings, but they were ruled by judges. And these were, oh, I guess you'd call them deliverers, our periodic leaders whom God raised up in that nation when the nation sought him. But in this particular period of time, when this book was written, and I think it's about a 1,000 to 1,200 years before Christ, this was an extremely dark time in the nation of Israel. And normally, it was dark in Israel when they stopped seeking God. When they went their own way and they began to worship other gods. I guess the best way that we could describe what was happening in Israel at that time is what judges seventeen sixteen says or six says they became a law unto themselves, and there was a a, a a certain man from Bethlehem Judah, and he went and left Israel because there was a famine in the land, but where did he go? He went down to Moab. So understand this, that he leaves a place called Bethlehem, right? And as you remember over the Christmas time, we discovered that Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. So he leaves the house of bread to go find bread. And the reason why that he left is because there was famine in the land. Difficult times. Some very pressing times. I imagine this gentleman, Elimelech, whose names mean, whose name means God is king, was under a great deal of pressure and he had his family and wanted to see their needs met. But he headed off to a pagan land. He left the land of promise and stepped back into the wilderness where God had already delivered them from. And he says, I've got an idea. My name is Elimelech. God is my king. But he didn't act like it. He took a step backwards. Listen, friends, when times get tough and when the press is on, it's not a time to get out of church. Or it's not a time to stop seeking God. It's a time to find out what's wrong and make the adjustments and don't run from God. Run to God because He is the answer. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Amen. So he took his family to Moab. Now, in Psalms 108 verse 9, I want you to look at that in the message again. Stay there in Ruth because we don't want to get lost. Psalms 108, and look at verse 9 in the message version. It gives us God's point of view of Moab. His, his, uh, his opinion, if you will, of Moab. In Psalms 108, verse 9 in the message says, Moab is a scrub bucket. He says, I'm mopping the floor with Moab. Some commentators say that Moab was a place of garbage. Or it was a place of refuse. It was a wasted place. Now listen. He is within the boundaries of God's blessing in Israel. Now listen. Plenty. Plenty of people. And we see examples in the Old Testament And in the New Testament, plenty of good people experienced famine. There was famine in the land. And yet, God helped them in the midst of famine. And you and I, in the natural realm, from the economic situation, looks like, feels like, smells like a famine. But we are not famine people. We are kingdom people. And in the midst of difficulty, we've got a king who is on the throne. Yeah. Listen to these famine promises. He said this. In Psalm thirty-three eighteen. he says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, and upon them that hope in His mercy. To do what, God? To deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. I submit to you tonight had he stayed in Israel he would have lived. Psalm 37:18 and 19 says, "The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied." Job 520 says, in famine, he shall redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. Verse 21 says, thou shalt hide, be hid from the scourge of the tongue. Neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it comes. Verse 22, at destruction and at famine, what do you do? (laughs) At destruction and at famine, thou shalt laugh. You don't feel like laughing. But laughter doeth good. It's medicinal to your soul. It's better to laugh than to cry. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. At destruction and at famine, you can laugh. Why can you laugh? You can rejoice in the Lord your God because you know, as David said, I've been young. I'm getting a little older. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed out begging for bread. Are you tracking with me tonight? So look at verse 2 now. It says, And the name of the man was Elimelech, which means God is king. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, or Kilion, Ephratus of Bethlehem Judah. That basically simply means that they were from a region, and the name of the region was uh, Bethlehem, Judah. And the place where they were from was the one that began with E. (laughs) Anyway. And they came into the country of Moab. And what did they do? They continued there. Now, understand this. That Elimelech's purpose in this was to sojourn there. The word sojourn there literally means to stay long enough to get their need met but to stay with the intention to eventually leave. Okay? Now we know that Elimelech, the next 10 years was a living hell for him. And he never, ever returned to Israel because in verse 3 it says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now, there is a way to man that seems right. Is there not? God's ways do not always align themselves with human logic or rationale. We've discovered on Sunday morning his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Thank God we can tap into them. But the thing that caused Elimelech to leave was hunger. And his hunger led him to the wrong place. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 2. Proverbs the 14th chapter, the second verse. Do we not get hungry? Do we get hungry for food? But do we also have other appetites? We have other appetites, do we not? If you're married within the within the boundaries of marriage, we all have sexual appetites. If you're not married, you have sexual appetites, you got to keep it under, bro. Got to keep it under. Is that right? But there's other there's other things that, people are are hungry today for acceptance. Um, you know, you look at all of the Things out there like Facebook and all of these things like Match.com. I cannot believe the amount of stuff I'm getting on my computer to try to hook me up with somebody single. And I'm thinking, how can this be? I'm a happy married man. I don't need to go to Match.com. But you see, people are hungry. They're hungry for acceptance. They're hungry for for a lot of different things. But sometimes people's hunger leads them outside of the boundary of God. And they start looking for their need to be satisfied in other ways other than in God's way. And we see this happening In Elimelech's life. In Proverbs 14 and in verse 12, it says this. Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Ready, read. It's actually verse 12. I made a mistake, but I recovered myself quickly. Are you ready? Let's read. It says, There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a... There's a way that seems right to man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. For Elimelech, it was actually physical death. For people that are seeking to have their needs met other than God's way, it can be death of another sort. It can be the death of a vision. It can be the death of a marriage. Now look with me over to Proverbs chapter 12, and let's look at verse 15. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. So we see that he's under stress. He moves outside the boundaries and it backfired on him. And this can happen to us. In Proverbs twelve fifteen, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel, what? In the multitude of many counselors, there is what the Bible calls safety. Now look at Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2. So he's trying to find the answers out of his thinking, out of his own terms. He's looking at the economics and he's looking at the job opportunity. He's looking at the upward mobility that Moab afforded. And he relocates his family to Moab, which at first glance, you know, seems like a good idea, but it became a huge error. And in Proverbs 21 verse 2, it says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but who is it that ponders the The hearts? It is the Lord's. Now I want to read to you something from Mark Driscoll from a church in Seattle. Listen to what he says. He says that Elimelech serves as the tragic example of the man who did not count the spiritual costs of a relocation of his family. He didn't realize or perhaps failed to rightly consider that when a man makes a decision for his home and his family, he is perhaps mortgaging their future thinking very, very short sightedly. He goes on to say this. What I mean is this. When you men decide where you will live and raise your children, you are deciding who your wife will fellowship with. Who you will fellowship with. Where you will attend church. And if so, what church? Let's take it further. And if you have children. What examples will be set before them in addition to who will they marry? They will marry the people that you put in front of them. And in deciding to go to Moab, he chose to leave church, leave worship of God, leave prayer, leave fellowship, and leave accountability. And he lost his inheritance. This is serious stuff. Just last Wednesday, we had a lovely young couple attend the church for the very first time. And they had just gotten off a jet, I believe, the night before at 11 p.m. And this young couple is from Tulsa, Oklahoma and she uh, is actually uh, from a part of Ukraine, a part of Russia and her mother and her family was able to come to America by virtue of a lottery years ago. And so she moved to Miami and, and he's from Baltimore and just a wonderful couple. She's a doctor, he's an administrator and just really neat people. But they have two children. One of the child's name is Noah. The other child's name is Zoe. I mean, uh, Zoe. And uh, we got to hear a little bit about their testimony. And uh, they were just holding their children. They were both sound asleep. But they said, we could hardly wait to get to church. And they live in Half Moon Bay. This is a Wednesday night. They attended Pastor Billy Joe Doherty's church, Victory Christian Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they were offered these wonderful jobs in the Bay Area. But they said, we're not going to accept this job. And it was a job of promotion unless we have a church we can go to. That's an awesome example. And these are young people. Young, young people. And there they were on a Wednesday night. By the time we were talking to them, it was 9 o'clock California time and 11 p.m. Tulsa time. Both of the kids sound asleep, but the parents with a sparkle in their eye. Saying, so, you know, we heard of your church and we were on the website and we heard messages on the podcast. And we listened to the word and we just knew immediately, this is our home church. I'm glad that there are people like that in this church. I believe that we have an auditorium of people like that. Who are not going to move out and step out unless the Lord is in it. And the Lord shows them the way and shows them exactly where they're going to be fellowshipping. Come on, saints. This is really important. If we take our children outside of the boundaries of God's provision in our life, we're opening them up to a bunch of problems. I believe this, and I'm not advocating Heart of the Bay Christian Center to be the only great church in the area. This is a great church because we serve a great God. We're just simply servants of the Most High God, giving Him all the glory. But I tell you what, If God has called a person to be here, it doesn't matter whether they live in Fairfield or not. Isn't that right? You folks live in Fairfield. You're driving home to Fairfield tonight. It doesn't matter whether they come from Monterey. What matters is where does God want people? If God wants us here, we had better be here. Because, ladies and gentlemen, our life is not our own. And so it just thrilled me to see and to know people like that. We have people driving from San Francisco, worked all day, and they're here tonight. Oh, glory to God. That's something to get excited about. I believe there's fire in the house because there's the people of God that are interested in the fire of God. Verse 2, And the name of the man was Elimelech, name of Naomi, Melon, Chilean, and so forth. They came to the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. And what did they do? Well, they didn't meet anybody, you know, in the synagogue. They met the Moabitesses. And anyway, they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah. That's not Ophrah, but Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there how many years? And verse five says, And Malon and Kilian died also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now, these are names you never want to name your kids. It's kind of Star Trekish and it's kind of hip. But when you find out what Malon and Killian means, you don't want nothing to do with it. Malon means sick. Killian means dying. So here's my boys. I'd like you to meet Asian bird flu pandemic. And here is incurable walking pneumonia. But they died, the father and the two sons. They thought that they would find life easier, but they left Naomi to care. He left Naomi to care for Malon and Chilion, and eventually they died. And then they took wives that were from the country of Moab. And... uh, this was about a 10-year a period of time. And when you're a widow in that day, in ancient Israel, a widow in that day in Moab was looked upon to be the lowest and the most disadvantaged of all classes. Why? Because there was no one to support you. They had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi, Naomi had no... Family in Moab. No one else to help her. I'm telling you, this was a desperate situation. They're in desperate straits. But God. But who? I said, but God. Can God make a way in the wilderness? Can God make a way out of Moab and get you back into the house of bread and put bread on your table? Yes, he can. And yes, he will. But before that happened, there was some really powerful changes that took place. I want you to look at uh, verse 6 and 7. And I'll read that. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto where? The land of Judah. Unto the land of Judah or unto the land of praise. You know, the neat thing about Naomi is she was smart. She woke up. And she understood They're in the wrong place. And instead of getting bitter toward God and shaking her fist at God and just blaming God for everything, she did an about face. She turned her back onto Moab and the Bible says they went on their way to Judah. They went back to the the place they knew that their help would come from. And I'm not saying there's anybody like that here tonight. But if you've been on the wrong path and on the wrong way and things have gone south, it might just be a good idea to get back to God. I said it's a good idea to get back to God. And you know, the neat thing is she turned. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning. Amen. Even though it was her husband who made the decision, she partook of the disaster and the tragedy. And she understood, instead of getting mad at God, she better get back to God. Hallelujah. And that's exactly what she did. She, She could have stayed in Moab. She could have stayed there just wishing for things to get better and just wishing things were different. But she did something. To receive receive what God had to give her. How many of you know that it requires a step of faith? It requires a step of faith. And she took that step of faith. Notice in verse 8 and verse 9. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Now go return, each to your mother's house, and may the Lord deal deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And may the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. So she's saying, now, go back to your mother's house. And by all common sense, that was a wise thing to do. Why? Because they had stronger ties in Moab than they did in Judah. And she's praying, may God deal kindly with you and grant you that you would find rest. In other words, she's praying that they would remarry. And you know what that tells me? That marriage is not intended to be hell on earth. (laughs) Marriage is not intended by God to deepen your piety. Marriage is a blessing. I'm sorry to tell it, but I was an idiot before I, was, before I met Brenda. You know my testimony. And even though I was saved, I still had some idiosyncrasies left over. A little bit foolish. A man from the north meets a girl from the south. A man from the Catholic background meets a Pentecostal girl. A man who had a drug background meets a beautiful, nice church girl on fire for God. Beautiful woman. Not only was she beautiful, but she had a car. (laughs) And I didn't have a car. When I went to Bible school, all I had was some dishes and a chaise lounge chair, no furniture. furniture. I had nothing, nothing. All I had was a tape recorder and I'd listen to Kenneth Copeland and brother Hagen and, and the people at the apartment thought I was crazy. They said, you know, he doesn't have anything in his house And they said to Brenda, because she moved exactly upstairs from me. I had the lower apartment. She had the upper apartment. And they said, go check on this guy. We think there's something wrong with him. They were right. And she knocked on the door. And I opened the door, and I felt like Adam. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Come to me, Mama. The thing that attracted me mostly to Brenda was her spirit, but also her eyes. And I'm not trying to build her up. No, we haven't had a fight today or anything like that. Beautiful eyes. Eyes are the window to the what? Eyes are the window to the soul. And my background was as such where I was rebellious and, you know, just we don't even need to talk about it. You know. All the things that go along with that kind of lifestyle. And we started to get serious and and, uh, we started to date and... And I was a little nervous because I felt myself slipping toward marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and Brenda was ready. You know, she was ready. They didn't call it Rama Bridal Training Center for nothing. Uh, and so, you know, it, well, none of her doing, but it was me you know, I would go back and forth and up and down, and you know, ask her to marry her, and and then kind of back off. And she says, "What's wrong with you, boy?" Yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe she was going to send Ricky and her brothers down and give me a good whipping. <laughs> and I didn't want that. By the way, going down to the farm for Thanksgiving dinner was quite an experience for a city boy. <laughs> she had her uncles out there. I mean, you talk about criminal-type-looking people. Uh, okay. Out there shooting pistols and guns on the farm. But she says, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? And I said, well, I, I just don't want to give all this up. She says, all what? No car, no food, no nothing. And I said, come to think of it, you got a good point there. God brought Brenda into my life so that I would have days and decades of heaven on earth. God didn't bring your husband or your wife into your life to teach you something, to chastise you or to be a curse to you. When you marry in God's timing, in God's way and in God's plan, you will have rest. Can I get a witness in this church? Can I get a witness in this church? And for those of you that are single, it is worth the wait. You may say, but Pastor Mark, the clock is ticking. Let her tick, baby. Because the right person in the right time is the right choice because it's God's choice for you and you'll enter into a new place and a new time. Amen? So I don't know how we got off on that, but Naomi said, girls, go on back, go on back. My prayer is that you'll remarry. My prayer is that you will literally find rest in your marriage. And this is a very interesting word where she said, may the Lord deal kindly with you. Everyone say deal kindly. The word kindly there is the ancient word, or the Hebrew word, excuse me, Hasid. Everyone say Hasid. Hasid Hasid is spelled H-E-S-E-D. Everyone say hasid. Hasid. Giving Hebrew lessons now. And Hasid encompasses, listen to this, deeds of mercy, Performed by a more powerful party for the benefit of the weaker one. She says, may the Lord show you Hasid. May His mercy attend your way every day of your life. You're not in a position for this to happen, but God is in a position to give it to you. May the Lord, my prayer for this church is, For you that are battling. My prayer is may the Lord deal kindly with you. Glory to God. God. The Bible says she kissed them. And and they lifted up their voices and wept. These folks had a good relationship. This is emotion shown because of a, a, a real strong relationship of love. Verse 10. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto your people. And Naomi said, Turn again. My daughters, why will you go home with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them, For having husbands? No, my daughters. It grieves me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. This was her perspective. She felt that God had left her. She felt like God had forsaken her. She felt like the hand of God had gone out against her. But in reality, they moved away from God. Are you listening to me? Just because that's stated in the Bible. That statement is truly stated. But it is not a statement of truth. What do you mean by that? I mean by that, that was her perspective. But when you understand how good God is. That He's for us and not against us. His hand never goes out against us. Sometimes His protection and His hedge comes down. Because of our disobedience. That's the way she thought. But still... She headed back toward God. She headed back toward the promised land. Come on, somebody. Help a preacher preach tonight. Anyway. Glory. And they lifted up their voice. And they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth. What did she do? Woo, glory to God. Ruth. Clave. Ruth clung. Ruth clung. Ruth saw something in Naomi that she wanted. Ruth saw something in Naomi that she needed. Orpah loved Naomi as much as Ruth did. But Ruth had a revelation. And the Bible says she clung to her. You know what? We're in a day and an hour where we better cling to God. The world is getting darker. I said the world is getting darker. And it's not going to get any better for the world. But you and I, we've got a covenant with God. Let's hold on to Him. Let's hold on to His Word. And let's follow Him with all of our might. Amen? Ruth clanged to her, clave to her. And she said, Behold, thy sister in law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods, small gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat treat me not to leave thee, or return from following after you. I love this. For wherever you go, whithersoever thou goest, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And your God is going to be my God. Where you go, I'm going. Where you sleep, I'm sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Whoever you serve, I'm going to serve. Amen. Oh, Jesus. I've been over here in Moab my whole life. i know nothing but tragedy. There's got to be a higher way. There's got to be a better way. And I trust that you're on the way to the land of promise. And I'm clinging to you. Amen. With all of my might. Moms and dads. Grandfathers and grandmothers. Now that I've entered into that class. Do we have that kind of influence on our babies? Do we have that kind of influence on our children's children? Do we have that kind of influence with our kids? Mm. Do our kids want to follow the same God that you follow? The answer is yes. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. So, wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Yeah. Your people are going to be my people. <laughs> Hallelujah. She's talking, ain't she? Oh, yeah. She's having it. Yeah. And thy God will be my God. Where you die, will I die. Where you are buried, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. I love this. So they too went. Until they came to the house of bread. And it came to pass. Everyone said it came to pass. Oh hallelujah. I'm telling you thank God for when it comes to pass. Thank God when the man from the station finally shows up. And it came to pass. When they were come to the house of bread, now notice this, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? They're excited about it. Bethlehem represents the family of God when people come back to Him. There should be excitement. Amen. And she said unto them, "Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me." The word Mara means bitterness. She said, "I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me?" So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they, oh, hallelujah, there's significance here. And they came to the house of bread, hallelujah, at the beginning of harvest time. Glory to God. They recognized they were in the wrong country. They came back home. They had to get their thinking straightened out. But God said, look, it's harvest time for you. And I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Because I am your kinsman redeemer. And I will redeem you and restore to you everything that the devil has stolen. Stand up everybody. There's a message in there for us. Oh, let's lift our voice. and thank-